Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. No great adventure ever started with, so there I was on the couch. Adventure should be fun. Adventure should be rugged. Adventure should take you someplace new. And if you ask me, there's no better place to start your adventure this spring than at your local Honda dealer, where new Hondas are arriving daily. Check out the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, Accord, Civic, and more. So you can stay on the couch if you want to, but I'm going to find adventure in a new Honda. Hurry into your local Honda dealer before they're gone. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner, really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. Goldilocks Productions broadcasts universal cosmic frequencies that unlock, awaken, and expand the consciousness of our worldwide viewers and listeners. Goldilocks Productions presents the Inspiration from Spirit show with your host, Reverend Lee Chapin. The focus and goal for this show is to assist humanity in the awakening of a new level of consciousness that will bring peace to planet Earth. Welcome. Hi, this is Lee Chapin. You're listening to Goldilocks Productions. This is Inspiration from Spirit. I'm here to bring peace, help you to awaken to a new perspective of life current events. Today we are going to talk about a bit about some of the current events, but we're going to talk about my book, Divine Union, the love story of Jesus and Mary Magdalene, and how that pertains to our current events today. So welcome, welcome all you listeners, all those who've joined us for the first time, and those who have joined me and my past shows. I want to thank you again for supporting me and supporting Tiffany White here at Goldilocks Productions. 
and bless you and we're hoping you're having a blessed day today as we move forward into what we call these unseen times or troubled times it's really important to be able to move into that state of peace and balance and this is one of the reasons that i wrote this book divine union the love story of jesus and mary magdalene a lot of my followers already know about my book they've read the book but for those who have not read my book my book is available on amazon both in print in ebook and also i just put it into audiobook you can get the audiobook only right now on my website which is leechapin.com l-e-a-c-h-a-p-i-n.com so we want to share with you a bit about this story about how jesus and mary magdalene met uh, how they eventually married and what they brought to the world as their sacred contract to the world as bringing peace and balance to the world. And so as many of you know, we are going through this pandemic for the last 12 weeks, I guess. I don't know how long it's been, 10, 12 weeks. And then now we have unfortunately um, another death of George Floyd, a black man who was killed at the hands uh, of a police officer last week. And we have all the protests that are going on in the world and all this fear and all this anger is uprising. And so this is really, really important now to be able to move forward into sacred balance, to be able to merge with ourselves, to be able to be at peace, to be able to manage and control our emotions so that we can see the bigger picture of things. So we don't always understand in our humanness what's happening in the world, why this pandemic is happening, why did all this violence have to happen? Why do we have racism? Why, 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 why? And yet sometimes we don't really need to know why. We just need to move in, be at peace, be centered, and merge into that state of stillness to be able to understand that there's a bigger picture, there's a higher perspective. So that's what my show is about. That's why I wanna to come to you every week to bring a new perspective of what's happening in the world as well as bring uh, other people's teachings as well. So today, as we talk about divine union, I hope that you can open your mind to this story, for this is an alternative story. It's a story that I brought forth and published in March of 2017. Uh, originally, in 1997, as many of you know, I started channeling and working with the Holy Family. And back then, when I started channeling that information, I had no clue that I would be writing two books from the Holy Family, from Jeshua and Mary Magdalene. But I was not aware that I was going to be telling the story of uh, Christ's life storyline of the crucifixion and his, and his resurrection. And so this is really what this book about is about how he has come into his sense of empowerment, how he merged into his own sacred union, and how he continues to live on this day in the Christ consciousness and the energy of the Christ consciousness to help all of us to move through our struggles, to move through our pain, despite all obstacles to be to remain centered and connected to our own divinity, to our own oneness. So today, as we move through this storyline, I want to begin, again, to um, bring that chapter to each of you. Uh, this is chapter eight, which is preparing for the crucifixion. And this, again, this storyline, many of you may never have heard of. It's what I channeled, it's what I brought forth. And uh, many people have resonated with my book. I've gotten tremendous, tremendous feedback in terms of my book, which I'm really, really grateful for, uh, because people have said it helped them to understand and connect to Jesus and to Mary Magdalene in a more humane way. 
And so this, as a psychotherapist, I wrote this book wanting to evoke emotion. I wanted to bring what I understood as the truth, but I wanted to humanize Jesus and Mary Magdalene and their story so that people could really identify with their humanness, with their emotions. So this is chapter eight, and I'm going to share that with you at this time. Preparing for the crucifixion. Can you imagine having the knowledge that you're going to be persecuted and crucified and left for dead as part of your sacred soul contract? This chapter is narrated by Mary Magdalene. I wish to move forward in time when we began to prepare for Jeshua's crucifixion. The day I learned of this, I will never forget, for it changed my life forever. On a beautiful fall day, Mother Mary invited me to her home for one of her weekly spiritual lessons since Mother, as I called her, was my spiritual mentor. I really enjoyed her weekly lessons as her wisdom was most enlightening for my soul. We were sitting in the garden talking, and then suddenly she stopped and turned to look at me with a grave look upon her face. She said, Mary, I have something of a very serious matter to tell you. The way she looked at me and the tone of her voice instantly alarmed me. I felt my heart begin to pound. Beads of perspiration suddenly lined my face. With my thoughts spinning, I blurted out in a panicked voice, What is wrong, Mother? Is there something wrong? She nodded and looked at me straight in the eye and admitted, Yes, Mary, Jeshua needs our help. My throat tightened as I began to choke back tears. What trouble could Jeshua be in? My mind began to race. She then began to explain to me the great design and how Jeshua's sole contract required him to be persecuted and crucified by the Romans for his beliefs. I could not believe what Mother was telling me. I screamed in terror. Oh no, that cannot be true. She answered back, yes, Mary, it will happen very soon. We must prepare ourselves and you're to help prepare Jeshua for the crucifixion. I began to tremble and sob. No, I cannot do this. I will not do this. I cannot do this. She once again looked at me directly in the eye and affirmed strongly, yes, Mary, you must and you will. It is your sacred soul contract to help Jeshua through the crucifixion and through his resurrection and ascension process, which is all part of the great design. She continued on to explain that the purpose of Jeshua's sacred soul contract and mission was to awaken humanity in understanding that their spirits are eternal as spiritual beings. We, as a family, also have contracted to help Jeshua through the great design. Even though I could not fully comprehend all that she was saying, I nodded in agreement for I knew I truly would do anything to help my beloved Jeshua. I do not remember everything Mother told me on that day, as I was in a state of internal shock and disbelief. However, I do remember her warning me that for Jeshua's safety, only a few would be privy to the great design. This small inner circle consisted of Uncle Joseph of Arimathea, Jeshua's cousin Elizabeth, Mother Mary, and myself. Not even Jeshua's disciples were to know the truth. Mother Mary made me promise not to speak of this to anyone, not even Jeshua, until the appointed hour for his own protection and state of mind. It was difficult to keep my promise because I tended to share almost everything with Jeshua, but I knew it was, it was important that I do so. Fear and worry lay heavy upon my heart for days, and I had many sleepless nights. This seemed like a terrible nightmare, and I just wanted it all to be over, but I knew the worst of it had not yet begun. I was so upset that every few days I would go to Mother Mary and anxiously ask her, is it time to doubt Jeshua? She just kept repeating, now Mary, you must be patient, all in God's time. A few more agonizing weeks went by until Mother Mary finally came 
to report, Mary, it is now time. I remember most, almost fainting and feeling frozen in fear. I had been anxiously awaiting, and now the time had come for Jeshua to be informed of his future plight. I was deeply frightened for him, but Mother's calm, gentle presence comforted me. Mother Mary always had a loving strength about her that brought comfort to all in, in her presence. She tenderly placed her hand upon my face and smiled sweetly and stated that she would speak to Jeshua tomorrow at dusk. She said nothing more, and then she turned and walked away. To this day, I do not know how Mother approached Jeshua about the crucifixion, as I never had the courage to ask her, and she never spoke to me about it again. That night, I was unable to sleep, as I was so distraught. Early the next morning, Jeshua appeared at my doorstep, visibly shaken and with tears in his eyes. When I opened the door, he literally fell into my arms and began to sob. We spoke no words, as we sat in silence, holding each other tightly, for we knew our lives had now changed forever. The silence was deafening. Yet we could feel each other's heartbeats, as we were both so frightened. It was so hard to accept what Mother Mary had shared with us, and to face the inescapable tribulation that lay ahead of us. We had just sat quietly for the rest of the day, holding hands as we clung to one another. Our connection was so strong that what one felt, the other felt just as intensely. I could not imagine what Jeshua must be thinking, but my heart ached as the thought of being crucified for one's beliefs was truly unimaginable. It deeply angered me that this horrendous ordeal was about to besiege my beloved Jeshua. I so wished I could right this wrong, seemingly terrible wrong. But I knew deep down that it was all part of the great design, which I had been orchestrated before Jeshua's birth. As Jeshua and I sat and tried to reconcile our own emotions, we knew that the dreadful day of the crucifixion would soon be near. And so, as we always did, we prayed for guidance, strength, and God's blessing upon our souls. A couple more days passed, and then Jeshua came to my home and asked me to help him preparing, to prepare for the crucifixion. Mother Mary had told him that his cousin Elizabeth and I were to help him so his soul would not feel the pain of the crucifixion. Elizabeth and I knew we must learn how to hold his soul consciousness in our hands like a pearl in a net. A great responsibility lay heavy upon us, as we were both aware that there was a likelihood that Jeshua might physically die if we did not perfect our technique. We began to furfishly practice day after day, helping Jeshua alter his consciousness into a hypnotic state. I instructed him how to go into a very deep trance-like state through the sound of my voice. This was all in accordance with the ancient Egyptian rite of the scepter, in which the initiate was suspended in their sahu body for extended periods of time. The Safu body was the Egyptian light body of higher frequency and expanded consciousness that allowed Jeshua full enlightenment and spiritual immortality during his resurrection and ascension process. As he proceeded to go into a deeply altered brain state, his superconsciousness would align with his oversoul, thus allowing him greater capacity to bring forth love and divine compassion. Elizabeth and I had never done anything like this before, and it was a skill that we both needed to master rather quickly to ensure Jeshua's physical survival. As we continued to prepare for the upcoming crucifixion day, we trusted that Jeshua would soon become proficient in regulating his own bodily functions and vital life with energy. We trained for hours assisting Jeshua into the hypnotic state where his respiration and heart rate would become invisible to the human eye and would appear as if he had died. It was a very tricky and frightening process for all of us. 
We were afraid that if we did not master this, the Romans would discover that Joshua had not really died and inflict fatal wounds upon him. We had to train him to remain in the trance state for over four hours, for Uncle Joseph had told us that the crucifixion could last that long. Elizabeth and I tediously worked with Joshua until we felt confident that he would respond to my voice and transition safely out of the trance state. When it was time for him to reawaken, I would give him the clue to return to alert consciousness with the sound of my voice. Joshua would often ask Mary, what if I'm not able to remain in that trance state for as long as I need to? What if the pain and suffering are too intense and really kill me? We were not sure what might happen to Joshua, but we all knew that it was vital that he learned to master his vital life force energy for his own survival. Cousin Elizabeth was deeply devoted to Joshua and his mission. We often called her the taskmaster, for if you ever wanted anything done, you knew you could count on her to do it. When Joshua would become frightened, she would often say, now Joshua, you know what needs to be done. He knew, as we all knew, that the great design was already set in motion and there was no way out of this. However, Elizabeth was also very sweet, kind-hearted, compassionate, and was so loving. So Joshua would not be so frightened and insecure. She had a very tender way of calming him. I could not have helped Joshua without Elizabeth's care, as I was not emotionally strong enough, I knew that without her, I would not have remained sane. I credit Elizabeth's great courage, strength, tenacity, and determination for helping me to get through these trying times. Elizabeth was a gentle, quiet, unassuming individual who never liked being in the spotlight. However, Elizabeth was so powerful that we all relied on her strengths during the most difficult time of Joshua's life. Elizabeth was never given any recognition for what she did for Joshua, but we knew that she was the backbone that was needed for Joshua to survive this crucifixion. I remember in the early years, Joshua would sometimes wonder aloud, Mary, I don't understand why they're teaching me how to master and regulate my life force energy. It did not seem necessary or make sense to me at that time either, but I would often concede, there must be a reason, Joshua. Do not question it, for they know more than we. We were taught as young children to respect, listen, and follow the rules of our elders. Even though I was rebellious and often defiant, I knew that my elders were to be respected and honored for their wisdom and knowledge. So we never questioned their authority on this matter. As we came to understand later, Joshua had knowingly begun his preparation for the crucifixion during those early years of the spiritual training. While we were preparing for the crucifixion, my heart ached with so much pain, I literally thought I might have a heart attack. I was so frightened and nervous for Joshua's safety that I began to experience panic attacks most daily and even began to hyperventilate at times. My mother was deeply concerned about my welfare and was afraid that I might have a mental breakdown and completely collapse both mentally and physically. She was like a healing balm and a comfort to my soul. For I was not the kind of person who allowed others to nurture or to comfort me, not even my parents. I was a hothead, temperamental, and very independent young woman. I, always, I was always determined to do everything on my own. I liked being in control, but preparing for Jeshua's resurrection and crucifixion was something that I could not control, and I became terrified. Dear cousin Elizabeth and my mother tried to comfort me to steady my nerves, but I would often become jittery. They would frequently have to physically take care of me when I would become weak, faint, and lightheaded, as my panic attacks became quite severe. My love for Joshua was so intense that my heart ached with fear for his safety and survival. 
the news of this impending crucifixion had taken me so much by surprise that the anxiety left me unable to focus or concentrate. I felt as though I was living an unending nightmare, unable to ex escape my own terror. I could, could not conceive why God would have Jeshua sacrificed himself with such suffering just to show that the spirit lives on. I became angry at God and refused to believe that any good would come from all of this. I was not emotionally or physically stable during this time, and my mother, Elizabeth, and Mother Mary would encourage me to sit in sacred circle to connect with the Earth Mother. They gently reassured me that this was of the utmost importance for me to feel safe and secure so that I would carry on with my duties and responsibilities assisting Jeshua at this most difficult time. Looking back, I would often marvel and be in awe of Elizabeth's tenacity as she would take my hand and we would pray together for guidance and strength. I had wavered in my belief in God during this excruciating personal trial, and I was embarrassed to tell anyone that my innermost fears, except for my dear friend, Elizabeth. She was always so understanding and was a sweet and gentle soul. I trusted her implicitly as she was deeply devoted to me and to Jeshua's mission. I always wondered where she found the inner strength to carry on. Many people, that I, many people believe that I was the epitome of strength, but it was Elizabeth who was the strong one. At that time, I was so emotionally distressed that I considered myself weak-willed and undisciplined, and I admired Elizabeth for her emotional qualities of devotion and strength. I trusted her and loved Elizabeth like my sister, for we were best friends, and she always knew what I needed. Surprisingly, it was during this time that my relationship with my father began to heal, misunderstanding about the depth of my love for Jeshua. Elizabeth was the one who was instrumental in helping me heal my relationship with my father. He was concerned that I was emotionally and physically unstable, and yet he did not understand what was causing me to so much angst. Elizabeth encouraged me to approach my father and to share with him what was troubling me. He knew that Jeshua was to be persecuted by the Romans for his beliefs, and he thought this was what I was upset about. I was hesitant to share more with him and the actual truth, for no one outside the inner circle was to know Jeshua's fate. But after I opened up to him a little bit more about the terrible situation causing my agony, he became more compassionate and understanding towards me. My reconciliation with my father was quite healing for me, as I loved him very deeply. I always desperately wanted to love his love and approval, but because I was so stubborn, I was unable to admit that I needed him. I knew that my parents loved me, but it took the pain of Jeshua's upcoming crucifixion for us to settle our differences. Once again, I had Elizabeth to thank for this new level of harmony between my father and myself. As the days grew closer to the dreadful day of the crucifixion, I began to regain my physical and emotional stability once again. With the help of my family, dear Elizabeth, and the strength of my Earth Mother, of Earth Mother, I began to feel stronger. On many nights, my mother, Mother Mary, Elizabeth, myself, would sit in sacred circle and pray for Jeshua's safety. We would beseech wisdom, guidance, clarity of purpose and strength as we infused our energies with the energies of Mother Gaia. I was fortunate that I learned to connect to the Earth Mother as a young girl, as connecting to her energy became effortless and could calm me instantly. On the eve of the crucifixion, we sat in the sacred circle as Mother Mary led us in prayer until the wee hours of the morning. As the night grew darker and we gazed into the sky, we all felt the stillness of the night. There were no stars to be seen. It was both eerie and, and serene. I remember feeling both peaceful and terrified at the same time. I remember feeling this sense of hesitation, but, in, but exhilaration as well. I knew Jeshua's life was in peril, but I also knew it was all part of the great design. 
So many emotions coursed through me. This was the longest night of my life. It was just a few hours now before the Romans would come to arrest Jeshua, and Elizabeth, Mother Mary, and I went to awaken him. When I saw him, I knew that he too had not slept all night. He looked extremely weary and exhausted, and I could see the fear in his eyes. Had we prepared enough to save Jeshua's life? What if he did not survive? The what-ifs were intonating my mind, but I knew I must trust in the divine plan. It was imperative that I control my emotions and prepare as I had been instructed. As we stood there gazing into each other's eyes, we began to weep, for we knew that it was the last time we'd be able to physically hold each other for a very long time. We held each other so tightly that we could feel each other's heartbeat. Jeshua reassured me that he felt prepared, and I could sense his inner trepidation, and I tried to comfort him. Unfortunately, under the dire circumstances, I knew I could not. So all I could really do was say, I love you. When it was time to say our goodbyes, Jeshua kissed me lightly on the forehead. Mary, Elizabeth, and I were weeping as he watched Jeshua walk away. He did not turn around to look at us, but we felt his sadness. Though in his outward appearance, he seemed to be so brave and steadfast in honoring his sacred contract. It was so painful for all of us to accept that Jeshua was going to be tortured and abused by the Romans, as we felt so helpless to save him. Can you imagine having the knowledge that you were going to be persecuted and crucified and left for dead as part of your sacred soul contract? I cannot imagine the fear that Jeshua must have felt, knowing that he was to sacrifice his physical, physical body in order to show humanity that the spirit is eternal. We were in awe of his astounding bravery and strength for what he was about to endure. What a huge responsibility Jeshua had undertaken, for indeed he was a true master and faithful servant of God. Mother Mary, Elizabeth, and myself were all trembling with fear for what was about to occur. We immediately went to find Joseph of Arimathea as he was our strength and protector. We all knew that our work had not yet begun, for nothing could have fully prepared us for what we'd soon experience on that dreadful day of the crucifixion. Chapter nine, the dreadful day of the crucifixion narrated by Joshua. My duty was to leave the energetic imprint of God's healing power of love and forgiveness for all who were present on the day of my crucifixion. This day was the longest and most excruciating day of my life. Nothing could have prepared me for what I was about to experience. As I kissed my mother, my cousin Elizabeth, and my merry goodbye, I saw tears well up in their eyes, and I could feel their love for me penetrate my soul. We had a special bond between us that I deeply cherished. Whatever might happen to me during the crucifixion, I knew that their love would be everlasting. They loved me unconditionally, and I was honored to have these powerful women in my life. I had been blessed and gifted with their unconditional love, strength, courage, and devotion. It was important to me to give humanity the same unconditional love they had gifted to me. I was worried that I might not be able to accomplish all that had been asked to me as shown in the great design. I knew that what was about to happen to me was beyond my control, even though my crucifixion was part of my sacred soul contract. I was terrified of my upcoming ordeal. I tried to be brave, but as I walked into the village, I felt my heart racing and my body trembling with fear. For years, I had unknowingly prepared myself for this event, by learning to master my own life force energy to the best of my ability. But I was extremely frightened about the pain and suffering that I was to endure. So many worries ran through my mind. Had I prepared enough? What if I could not fully master my energies as I had been trained? What if Mary and Elizabeth could not control their own emotions and were unable to assist me in the safe transition of my soul from my physical body? I knew I must remain calm, but it was most difficult, as I'd never been so deeply frightened in all my life. As I arrived in the village, 
So much worry was heavy in my heart. I was especially concerned for my 12 male disciples, for they'd never been privy to the truth of the great design. My crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension had all been prearranged, and only my small inner circle knew that I was to be that I was not to physically die upon the cross. Even though it was vital to my safety to conceal this truth, nothing so made me feel as if I was betraying all of my disciples, even Judas. So many mixed emotions were swirling around me. It was also unsettling to me, and I was questioning everything in my life. It was in the early morning hours just before dawn. I arrived in the village. I had known ahead of time that Romans were coming to imprison me, and I was to be persecuted for my so-called crimes of claiming to be the Son of God. Many of the townspeople had already gathered in the village, as they'd heard the rumor of my imprisonment and persecution by the Romans. I felt the chaos and confusion of the crowd, and saw the fear in their eyes. My male disciples quickly gathered around me and tried to protect me, but I asked them to disperse, for I must stand alone as I waited for the Romans to arrive. As I anxiously waited for their arrival, I recalled my dream from the previous night. I had seen myself astral traveling and hovering above my body as I was laid upon the cross. I had felt my body wracked in pain with blood and sweat seeping from my pores. I recalled feeling helpless and out of control as I watched myself bleeding profusely on the cross. Just recalling this premonition made me begin to tremble once more with fear. But now, more than ever, it was imperative for my survival that I quickly get my emotions under control so I could concentrate on mastering my own vital life force energy. I was so relieved to know that Mary and my female disciples would be at the stations of the cross, holding a space of love for me so that my soul would not suffer. Me, my Mary, cousin Elizabeth, and my two female disciples, Judith and Ruth, had, propelled, had prepared well in advance to ensure my physical safety, but I was still afraid. I stood there waiting for what seemed like hours, but it was not long after sunrise the Romans appeared in town square to arrest me. My dedicated disciple Thomas tried to stop them, but they pushed him to the ground. I cherished Thomas, as he'd always been protective of me. When I put my hand up to stop him, I told him not to interfere, for I surely did not want him to be in harm's way. As Pontius Pilate stood before me, reading the edict of my crimes, he looked me directly in the eye with a fearsome stare that sent chills down my spine. He seemed to enjoy entertaining the crowd by reading my alleged crimes out loud, and the villagers began to sh cheer and shout. As the frenetic energy intensified, I reminded myself to focus on my breathing in order to remain calm. This became increasingly more difficult as this noise was already reaching a fevered pitch, and the chaotic energy was palpable, and it was affecting my ability to concentrate. But I gathered my free will and began to breathe deeply while repeating to myself, I am that I am, I am that I am, I am that I am. And then suddenly, I felt a powerful surge of energy run through me. Surely, this must be the strength of God's power supporting me. This helped me begin to feel the strength of my own divine power. As I stood there in front of Pontius Pilate, nothing could have prepared me for the abject cruelty I was about to face. Pontius Pilate ordered the soldiers to immediately take me to the jail cell and announced that I was to be crucified at nightfall. Within moments, the soldiers grabbed my arms and began dragging me through the village. I could hear the villagers taunting me as they watched me struggle. My short-lived sense of strength and bravery quickly turned to fear once again as I saw from the corner of my eye my mother and my Mary crying. It pained me to feel their fear and sense their helplessness, as they had not always been there to take care of me, and now they could not. All of my inner circle had diligently prepared for the crucifixion as, the, as they had been shown. We were still not the ones ultimately in control, so we knew what, what, what could possibly go wrong. My only consolation was knowing that I'd given my life in service to God, 
So I, if I was to physically die, I trusted the outcome, since I'd prepared myself to the best of my ability to carry out the great design. As the Roman soldiers were painfully beating and whipping me, I once began to tremble uncontrollably. I couldn't help the fearful thoughts that entered unbidden into my mind. What if I really did physically die, despite what I had been told? What if I was not able to alter my consciousness in the trance state as I had been trained? What more, what ifs, kept psychologically touching my mind and terror set into my bones? As I was dragged through the crowd, I was deeply affected by the energy and emotions of all the people surrounding me. Their anger, fear, hatred, sadness, and sorrow. I could feel it all. I saw the women crying and the men shouting at me with anger and hatred in their eyes. As hard as I tried, it was so difficult for me to remain calm as the pain was nearly unbearable. But I knew I must try even harder for I had a responsibility not only to myself, but to all my spiritual followers. I desperately had held back my cries of pain and I was already bleeding profusely and my flesh was raw with rope burns. I didn't know how I could take much more as I was already in great pain, but the worst had not yet begun. When I arrived at the jail cell, the stark reality of the ultimate torture that was soon to occur sent waves of terror through me once again. As I sat alone in the cold, stark jail cell, many doubts began to plague my mind. Was I really the Messiah? Was I even capable of doing what had been asked of me? Could I really accept my supposed role in the great design? Had we really understood the true essence of its meaning? What, I had, got, what had I gotten myself into? As I was fervently praying for a sign from God, the most magnificent luminescent white light appeared before my eyes. I was startled at first, as the light was so bright that it was blinding to my eyes. Then I saw Archangel Gabriel, Raphael, and Michael standing before me, and immense relief flooded through me. As the archangels gathered around me, I audibly heard, be still and know that you are God. Be still and know that you are God. You have not been forsaken. I was about to acknowledge them, but just as quickly as they appeared, they vanished again. But then an overwhelming sense of peace and calm finally came over me, and I knew whatever happened to me was now in God's hands. It was at the precise hour of 7 p.m. that the Romans came to my jail cell, and I knew the time of my crucifixion had finally come. One of the Roman guards allowed my Uncle Joseph of Arimathea to be on my side, which greatly comforted me. My Uncle Joseph was always the epitome of strength, and he reassured me that he would take care of me. I nodded and understood. Uncle Joseph had arranged for me to be positioned upon the cross where I would be able to see my Mary. I needed to focus my gaze upon her so she could give me the cue to transition my consciousness into the trance state so I wouldn't feel the pain so immensely. Mary, my cousin Elizabeth and I had carefully prepared for this moment and now the time had arrived. Under such frightening conditions I was now facing, I was concerned that I might not be able to transition my consciousness into the trance state as I'd been taught. It was a comfort to me knowing that my Mary, Elizabeth, Judith, and Ruth were the stations of the cross to help me get through this most horrendous ordeal in my life. I will never forget the courage of these four brave women as they all risked grave danger if the Romans found out they were really doing this. My deep gratitude for their unconditional love, dedication, and determination will forever remain in my heart. As I finally arrived to be positioned upon the cross, the noise from the screaming crowd appeared deafening. I was worried that I might not be able to focus my attention on my breathing to obtain the proper altered state. So I gazed into Mary's eyes. I saw the panic looked upon her face and I momentarily panicked as well. But Mary quickly centered herself and then I could feel the power of her love more than anything else helped me begin to alter my consciousness into a trance state. 
It seemed like hours, but it had only been just a few moments. My soul began to float out of my body. I was able to see my spirit hovering over my physical body. I had astral traveled many times before, but this time it seemed somewhat different. My spirit now embodied the strength of my full Christ mastery self. I had been instructed that I must remain in this altered state of consciousness for four hours. For years I trained for this moment, but now the time had come. Could I truly master this feat for that long? I knew I must do so for my own safety. Could I possibly survive the torture of the abuse that I was about to endure? Hovering above, I witnessed the Romans begin to drive nails into my flesh and saw my body being brutally tortured. I did not know how my physical body would make it through this alive. The actions of the Romans who were abusing me were being driven by the angry crowd. I began to observe what was occurring around me, witnessing the cruelty of those who were torturing me and those in the crowd. The chaos soon intensified and it became a frenzy of uncontrolled primal human emotions. I wondered how my great mission would ever be accomplished, for I saw the madness and the hatred and the anger in the eyes of the people and the Romans who seemed to enjoy their brutal attack. I watched them revel in what they thought was my death. It all seemed so surreal as my oversoul continued to hover. I energetically tried to comfort the women who were crying as they were tending my wounds and cleaning the blood from my feet. I knew that they could not see or feel my spirit form, but I was trying nevertheless. I felt helpless at that moment, but my heart ached for all who were witnessing my brutal attack. I could feel the strange dichotomy of the great love and the angry fear of the people who had gathered on that day. When my spirit appeared to Mary and my cousin Elizabeth, I momentarily startled them and shocked them, for I was now hovering over them in my ethereal diamond light body. They were stunned at how quickly I had transitioned from my physical form, and I could see both fear and re relief on their faces. I spoke no words, but smiled and nodded in reassurance. I sent love and peace to comfort them, for they had the daunting task of holding my soul so that it would not suffer. I then immediately went to my male disciples to bring comfort to them as well, but unfortunately they weren't able to see or sense my presence. I could tell that they were afraid that they too might be persecuted for their association with me. I could see the fear in their eyes since they were not aware of my role in the great design. They did not know that the crucifixion was part of my soul contract and that I was destined to survive it. I felt guilty keeping a secret for them, but it was vital for their safety and my own and I did so. It was in that moment that I had a tremendous burst of love for all of humanity as I began to send healing waves of love, compassion and forgiveness to all those who were abusing and taunting me. I know how important it is to bring unconditional love to all who were present on that day for I had much work to do in a short period of time. I can feel the crowd's brawl emotions comprising a mixture of anger, fear, hatred, sadness, and sorrow. I knew I needed to send love, compassion, and peace to calm the crowd for hysteria had overtaken so many. It was imperative that I accomplish what I'd been asked to do. My duty was to leave the energetic imprint of God's healing power of love and forgiveness for all who were present on the day of my crucifixion. I'm gonna repeat that again. My duty was to leave the energetic imprint of God's healing power of love and forgiveness for all who are present on the day of my crucifixion. These powerful frequencies were to be etched eternally within their souls so that fear would no longer cause mankind to be separate from God. I felt tremendous compassion and love for those who were suffering as fear is truly mankind's separation from God. Instantaneously, I felt a tremendous shift within each soul as I infused a fused a seed of unconditional love in the hearts of all who were present that day. My heart filled with joy for what I was experiencing, as I knew this moment in time was crucial for the spiritual evolution and awakening of humanity. I felt so much love for all of humanity, but my 
exhilaration was to be short-lived. I then heard my Mary telepathically say, it is now over. You may re-enter back into your physical body. It's safe to return. The crucifixion is now over. Like a lightning bolt, Mary's words jarred me back into my body, and just as quickly as my soul lifted out of my physical body, my consciousness re-entered it. Excruciating pain immediately came flooding back into my awareness as the rope burns and nails had carved a stinging sensation to my bloody flesh. I felt the blood running down my wounded body, and I wanted to cry out in pain, but I knew I could not. As difficult as this was, I knew I must must remain completely silent and perfectly control my emotions because I was to appear as if I had physically died. When I was taken from the cross, I needed to look as if I had been left for dead, for I knew the Romans would examine my bloody body to make sure it was lifeless. It was more important than ever before that I now completely master my physical body and any movement, sound, twitch, or blink of an eye would constitute a fatal mistake. When they finally pronounced me dead, I heard the cheering of the crowd and triumphant shouts of joy as the angry Romans reveled in my death. As the crowd began to disperse and the Romans truly did leave me for dead, my uncle Joseph Arimathea and my disciples helped me take me off the cross. I was relieved to be taken off the cross, for I'd never been through I'd never had any for I had never been excuse me, for I had been there many excruciating hours. I was so grateful that it was now over. My mother, my Mary, cousin Elizabeth, Judith, and Ruth immediately came rushing to my side. When they saw me, I could sense their fear and confusion as it truly did appear that I had actually died. I was still in a slightly altered state, and I could now feel my physical body rack with pain as my burning flesh was exposed to the hot night air. I felt my mother's loving touch upon me, and a surge of energy rushed into my body as she ignited my vital life force energy back into my body. I felt her great relief as she realized that I was physically still alive. Then I felt my mother's hand upon my forehead, and her lovingly touch relieved my fear. I knew that everything was going to be all right now that I was safe in the loving arms of my mother and my Mary. As Uncle Joseph and my disciples tenderly carried me onto the family cart, I was bleeding so profusely and had so many broken bones and internal injuries, it did not look as if I would survive much longer. Every movement and every breath brought back agonizing pain. At this point, even I did not know if I would be able to physically survive, but I didn't know the worst was now over. As my Uncle Joseph drove away, drove away with me in the cart, some of the remaining crowd were still cheering and shouting, and others were weeping in sadness and remorse for the cruelty they had just witnessed. Grief was heavy in the air, and I could feel and sense all of the chaotic emotions swirling around me. It saddened me, but I knew that this was part of the great design. Their suffering on my own, through my own crucifixion was openly to ignite compassion and open the hearts of all humanity to greater love. I'll repeat that again. Their suffering and my own through my crucifixion was ultimately to ignite compassion and open the hearts of all humanity to greater love. Then to my surprise, I heard my mother, my Mary speak to me telepathically, that she and Elizabeth were in the tomb waiting for me as they had promised. It gave me great relief to know that I would not be alone, for I needed my Mary now more than ever. When we arrived at the tomb, the Romans and guard allowed Uncle Joseph and my mother to enter inside the tomb. Although the Roman guards had been assigned to protect it prior to my arrival, Uncle Joseph had assigned a secret passageway much in advance to my crucifixion so that Mary and Elizabeth would safely enter to tend to my wounds and aid in my recovery. They were already waiting there for me, and fortunately, they had not been seen by the guards. My mother whispered to me that she and Joseph would come back for me in three days, and they'd be well taken care of. She then placed her hand over my chest, and once again, I felt her loving touch infuse my heart with healing energy. I knew my mother and Joseph had very little time to be with me in the tomb. 
Once the door was closed and sealed, I felt tremendous dread overcome me. I was afraid that I might really be alone. But then, like an angel, I felt the hand of my Mary touch my face. Dear Mary and Elizabeth were both right by my side. Their loving presence was such a healing balm to my weary soul. The ordeal truly was over, and I had survived. Those two chapters were really, really powerful chapters for me to be able to channel and to bring forward. And the reason I wanted to share that with you today was because of what's happening in our world. It's time for us to, again, move into this state of forgiveness. And as I said earlier at the top of the hour when I started that, that was a lot of uh, listening to the, the story. Uh, but those are two powerful chapters. So I asked you to go within, and if for any reason you're holding anger or resentment towards yourself, towards anyone, for what's happening in the world today, then begin to make peace with that. In my book, my first book, The Twelve Master Teachings of Christ, the sixth lesson is forgiveness. And as Christ had spoken about, he had left the energy of forgiveness for all of us to be able to hold compassion for ourselves and others who have harmed us. So as we move into this state of grace and move into this state of balance within ourselves and we begin to master our own emotions and begin to hold that space of love for ourselves and for all the world, that there's a higher reason for all things. Just like the time of the crucifixion, many did not understand. There were those who were there that were loving support of Jesus and those who held disdain. And yet his spirit his energy was there to hold the space of love for all of us so that we could eventually move into compassion and love and be able to be the masters that we are just like he so today as you allow yourself to feel this sense of inner grace and peace i'm just going to ask you to now begin to shed all that no longer serves you and allow yourself to merge forward into this beautiful state of grace and balance so I want to go ahead before the top of the hour is over because that was uh, a long 45 minutes. Uh, I'd like to take some questions or comments that anybody might have. I see that I have one. Uh, Jewel said, wow, thank you for sharing that chapter. Jewel says, I love the endearment, my Mary. Thank you, Jules. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, that's, um, when I still read my book, um, it evokes a lot of emotion within me. And I feel uh, this, this deep sense of love that Christ has for all of us. And so again, now as we merge forward into this um, sacred time and in, in merging into um, the truth of who we are. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by as we resolve this issue. Don't want the fun to end? Grab more refreshments, then head over to Goldilocks Productions' YouTube channel. With over 950 archive shows, the fun doesn't have to end. No great adventure ever started with, so there I was on the couch. Adventure should be fun. Adventure should be rugged. Adventure should take you someplace new. And if you ask me, there's no better place to start your adventure this spring than at your local Honda dealer, where new Hondas are arriving daily. Check out the CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, Accord, Civic, and more. So you can stay on the couch if you want to, but I'm going to find adventure in a new Honda. Hurry into your local Honda dealer before they're gone. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 